0: Welcome to Reproductive Left, produced in collaboration by Community Radio WERU and Mabel Wadsworth Center, a feminist, client centered sexual and reproductive health care provider in Bangor, Maine. I'm your host, Abby Strout. On each show, we speak with local experts to explore issues that impact our sexual and reproductive health. Topics include, but aren't limited to, reproductive rights, access to health care, feminism, LGBTQ rights, and women's sexuality. We wrap up each show with our Ask Mabel segment, where we answer your sexual and reproductive health questions. For more information on Mabel Wadsworth Center or to listen to past episodes, visit MabelWadsworth.org. You can also find Reproductive Left on WERU.org in the archives, on iTunes or SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for tuning in. Happy New Year! I hope you all had happy holidays and are feeling rested and ready to take on the challenges that 2018 will bring. We're starting this year with an episode that focuses on two very important subjects that are central to women's equality and reproductive justice, paid leave and childcare. Both of these issues we think about a lot here at Mabel Wadsworth Center as they impact the lives of our clients and our staff. With us today to provide information and offer ways to get involved is Kathy Kilring Del Rio, the Director of Program and Development at the Maine Women's Lobby. For more than 35 years, the Maine Women's Lobby has been an advocate on issues affecting the lives of Maine women and girls. They work to create a future that is free from violence, free from discrimination, with access to health care and real economic security. Hi, Kathy. Welcome to Reproductive Love. Thank you for being on the show with me. Thank you for having me. We're going to just get right into it. So can you tell our listeners just what paid family leave is and why it's a priority of the main Women's Lobby?
1: Paid leave is basically when you need to take leave for a longer period of time than you do when you just take off a day or two because you have the cold or flu. So, for example, if you um, give birth, to a baby and you need to take time off to recover, that you would use paid leave for. Or if you're um, dealing with cancer treatment and you have to have surgery and take off a long period of time, that would be paid leave. Paid leave can also be intermittent. So for example, again, with the case of someone with cancer, you might have to take leave periodically because of different treatments that you're going through. So you might take off a few days each week or a few days every few weeks. But over the course of a year, it's a lot of time that would be paid leave. And the way that it becomes, the way that we would argue that you can pay for it is by creating an insurance program, basically, the way we do with unemployment or social security. So you pay a tiny amount out of your paycheck into a big fund, and everybody does it. And then when you need it, it's there for you to take part of your wages back. We could do that at the state level, or we could do that nationally. Uh, But creating some sort of system is the way that we can fix this problem for people.
0: Now, my understanding is that the United States is one of only two Mm -hmm. countries in the world that doesn't have paid family leave. Is that correct?
1: That's right. The only other country in the entire world that does not have a paid leave system is Papua New Guinea.
0: Can you just explain the difference between maternity leave and paid family leave? Because you used it as an example, but it is different. So I just want to have that clarification
1: not all paid leave is maternity leave but maternity leave is a part of paid leave so if you need to take time off to care for a new baby or to care for a, a, a child that you've adopted that would be paid leave but we usually often in shorthand just call it maternity leave but it would be part of the same paid leave system it would also the great thing about paid leave um as a whole system is that it would also include fathers or non-biological parents. Um, It also would include the use for lots of other things, such as, like I mentioned, cancer, or if you get into a car accident, or you have to have surgery, or you have to care for a parent or a spouse that's going through any of those things.
0: How many weeks are we talking about when we talk about paid leave?
1: Well, it depends. So right now we don't have a standardized system, so depending on where you go, it is different. Um, Here in Maine, there is a bill that's been introduced by Representative Aaron Herbig. Uh, It's LD 1587. And that would create a paid leave system for Maine. And that would have eight weeks of paid leave in that system. And there are other models. It depends on the state. And there's also a bill nationally um, called the Family Act that also has its own system. So, uh... We are really hoping that the bill that Representative Herbig has introduced can be passed in 2018 and that we can um, have a system for Maine.
0: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Reproductive Left, produced by Mabel Wadsworth Center and Community Radio WERU. I'm Abby Strout. Here with me today is Kathy Kilrain Del Rio from the Maine Women's Lobby, and we're discussing paid leave and child care, two issues that are central to women's equality and reproductive justice. Now, the other thing you've been working on recently is a report about child care in Maine. Um, Can you talk about how access to child care relates
1: to family leave? Absolutely. So they're definitely totally linked. Um, If you have a child, uh, one of the first things you need is to be able to have time to recover from giving birth or time to get to know each other. If you've adopted a child, time to create that bond, time to establish your family, time to breastfeed and learn how to do that. There's lots of great reasons why you need like an extended period of time together where you're just together and that's all you're focused on. But then eventually most families someone's gonna have to go back to work and when that happens you need to have access to child care and the reality is is that today we just don't have good access to child care for really any families in our in our state Um, one of the biggest things that we hear from people all over the state is that they can't find either they can't find any child care that has openings or they can't find child care that they can afford Um, and it's a huge problem. And it's an added burden for families if they don't have access to paid leave, because that means they have to find childcare like right away. Um, It's amazing how many families have to actually go back to work within a week or two weeks of giving birth. And it's unbelievable, but it's also meaning that you have to put your very tiny little infant into someone else's hands within a week or two weeks of them coming into the world. And they're really not ready to do that. We don't even allow that to happen for pets, right? Like You're not allowed to take kittens or, or puppies away from their, their moms that fast. But we do that with our children. Um, so it doesn't make any sense. So they're inextric, inextricably linked. Um, and for families who don't have any access to paid leave, which is the majority of families, if they've taken more than whatever time they've accrued off then they're taking a financial hit as well. So they're maybe if they take off a month, they might have taken three weeks of that unpaid, and then they have to use some of that money to figure out how they're going to pay for childcare. So you, they're all linked together. There's no way to take them apart.
0: So for a lot of these people, do they end up losing their jobs when they're stuck with a decision of um, not having childcare but having to go
1: back to work? It's definitely an issue, and it's an issue that impacts women more than men because women are the primary caregivers still today in most families. Um, and that that is the reality, is if you don't have reliable child care or you can't find child care, then you might have to leave your job or you might have to take a job that has very different hours in order to try to figure out to make do with something. Um, and that creates a financial burden for families. It's also one of the reasons why women continue to fall behind over the course of their lifespan. So if you think about all of the years that a woman works, if you think about her losing pay when she doesn't get paid leave, when she gives birth to children, or when she's taking care of an aging parent, or she's she's taking care of some other family member, because women are often caregivers for all sorts of reasons, every time that that happens, she's taking a financial hit, and that impacts her retirement, that impacts her savings, that impacts her financial well-being over and over and over again, and then if you're also thinking about the fact that she will have to take out a big chunk of her salary in order to pay for childcare, that's another financial hit that you just can't get back, and it doesn't just affect a small percentage of families, it affects the majority of families.
0: What are your recommendations on what needs to be done to improve the childcare system in our state?
1: Well, the Maine Women's Policy Center, along with the Maine Children's Alliance, uh, recently produced a report called Investing in Our Future, How Maine Can Prepare Our Children to Become Tomorrow's Leaders, and it's available on our website at mainewomenspolicycenter.org. And that report has many, many, many recommendations that span a bunch of different areas in order to improve our early childhood system. Um, A few highlights of that would be making it easier to apply for subsidies if you qualify for subsidies. um, If you're a lower income person or family, another thing would be investing in the systems that we already have. So if our state could do more to invest in, for example, early head start, uh, that would be a big boon because we know that there are a lot more families that qualify for early head start and head start than actually are able to take advantage of those programs. And then also looking at ways that we can increase access to infant care more broadly for people regardless of their incomes. One way that we can do that is to better um, improve the rates of subsidies that child care providers receive so that incentivizes them to help people who need those subsidies um, and to create spots within their, their child care centers for those children. There's a whole host of ways that we can do things to help make it easier for families. It really just takes a commitment by our elected leaders to say this is something that matters. We want to invest in our future, as the report says, and make sure that our children can have a really strong start. And we're going to look at a whole uh, comprehensive way of doing that. You can't really fix it with just one quick fix. Like it's going to take a whole bunch of different things in order to fix the problem.
0: And just to give our listeners an idea, can you tell us about how much it costs an average family to put one pers- one kid in child care?
1: Yeah, I, um, it can cost for infant care, it can cost up to $10,000 a year or just under $10,000 a year. That's not an uncommon amount for people to pay. That's a huge expense for families. Um, infant care is the, the, the level of care that's hardest to find, and it's also the most expensive in our state. And um, and this is a problem nationally, but it's a special problem here in Maine, and particularly in rural parts of the state where there are less centers, it can be a real challenge um, or where transportation can be a real problem. So getting your children to child care. But that's a huge part of a, of a family's budget. Um, and, and it's really something that can be fixed if we wanted to invest in it.
0: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Reproductive Left, produced by Mabel Wadsworth Center and Community Radio, Weru. I'm Abby Strout here with me today is Kathy Kilrain Del Rio from the Maine Women's Lobby. and we're discussing paid leave and childcare, two issues that are central to women's equality and reproductive justice. Now, to me, both of these things seem very straightforward, um, the fact that we're the only nation, one of two nations in the world that doesn't have paid family leave, and the fact that um, improving our childcare system both benefits our workforce and um, raising our future workforce. So I'm very confused as to why this isn't already part of um, our culture and already just a norm in Maine and in the United
1: States. Mm -hmm. Well I think when it comes to creating a system of paid leave there's a lot of misunderstanding about what that would mean. A lot of people assume that that means putting a burden onto business and um, in America we don't ever want to do that. Candidates never want to talk about that. Um, That's not actually what it is right. It's creating an insurance system that that employees and employers could also pay into, but that employees are paying into in tiny little amounts so that they have something there when they need it. Um, It's a system that definitely works in, in the states that already have it and that we could easily do elsewhere. And I think a lot of people don't realize that every other country in the world except for Papua New Guinea has this. So they think it's something that really is hard to do. And if every other country in the world except for one has it, then it can't be impossible to do. Right. It's just a matter of us deciding we want to do it. And when it comes to improving access to childcare, I think it's a complicated system. It, it is something where you have small businesses and individuals who are providing that care. It's not something that the government is doing directly in most cases, with some exceptions, and so people think, well, how can we fix it if, if it's not being provided directly by the government? But the reality is, is that the government can create systems to invest in those programs to help make it easier for everyone to to access it. And the reality is, is even going back to when President Nixon was president, like this was something that was a problem then, and there was almost a solution. And then for political reasons, that solution was dropped. And I think it really is it's a it's a political problem, not. A problem that doesn't already have a solution.
0: For our listeners who are motivated by this interview and want to take action, I know you said that there's a bill proposed here in Maine. Mm-hmm. How can they get involved?
1: Yeah, so we have a bill that was carried over that will be taken up um, by the legislature, and that's a really great opportunity to both push forward more about why it matters and to get people to be able to have a chance to share their stories with legislators about how it would impact their families because the reality is is that for all families at some point in our lives paid leave is going to affect us like either we are going to have a child or adopt a child we're going to get into an accident or be sick ourselves or we are going to have a loved one who is sick and needs our support so i think Every single family at some point will have this. And especially in a place like Maine where um, we have such an aging population and we're trying to keep people at home, paid leave is another great way that could help support people being at home because it would allow their loved ones to be able to come and help people who are trying to stay at home while they're aging. So this bill will be taken up and there'll be a public hearing soon. Um, If you're interested, I would highly recommend reaching out to the Maine Women's Lobby and talking with Jen, our amazing community organizer. And you can find all our contact information at mainwomen.org. Uh, We'd love to talk with you, we'd love to hear your story, and we'd love to help you figure out ways to get involved. Another great thing you can do is sign up for our Action Alert system. Uh, That's right on the front page of our website, mainwomen.org, And you get notified when there's an opportunity to contact your legislator, when your call really can make a difference. Um, And that's both for the state level as well as federal level. And we don't try to bombard you with too many emails. We really try to let you know when it's a, a really good time to take action. And then we also share with you a monthly e-newsletter that kind of gives you a heads up about what's going on and what's on the horizon.
0: Is there anything um, that folks can do regarding child care?
1: There will definitely be opportunities throughout the legislative session for um Taking action on some bills that will relate to funding and some other issues with, with regard to our early childhood system. Another um, thing we didn't talk about but that happened uh, last year was that the Department um, of Health and Human Services implemented new rules for family child care providers, which are a big part of our early childhood system, that are really dangerous rules. They remove the right of parents to visit their children anytime during the day, they change the staff child ratio for supervision. Um, and and some other serious changes to the system of how we license these providers. And that will be looked at, again, by the Health and Human Services Committee uh, sometime in this legislative session. So if that's something that you're interested in, again, contact the Maine Women's Lobby. Let us know, and we can let you know when there's great opportunities to take action.
0: Great. Thank you so much, Kathy. Thank you. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Reproductive Left, produced by Mabel Wadsworth Center and Community Radio WERU. As I mentioned on last month's episode, we're changing things up in the Ask Mabel segment for 2018. We're focusing on the wide range of birth control options available to us and hearing from the true experts themselves women who use the method. In the December Ask Mabel segment, nurse practitioner Lindsay Piper gave us a fabulous overview on the different birth control methods, and if you haven't listened yet and you want to, you can find it on our website, www.mabelwadsworth.org, in the episode titled, Why the Courts Matter, and update with Eliza Townsend. Today, we're going to take a deeper dive into the birth control pill. The segment will start with Casey, a University of Maine student, telling us about her experience with the pill and followed by nurse practitioner Terry Marley-DeRosier answering a few questions. We know that finding the right birth control isn't always easy. If you want to share your experience, visit www.MabelWadsworth.org and go to the Contact Us page.
2: When I was 16, I went to Maine Family Planning uh, in Farmington to get birth control and the pill. I guess at the time, I hadn't really thought of anything else. pill was just like, that's what I thought of as birth control was the pill. So I only ever really consider others as I've gotten older, but not serious enough consideration to actually switch just because I've always been happy with the pill. And I I don't know, I don't feel like doing the trial and error now that I've already on one that I like. Um, I used a different type, uh, whose name I don't remember, um, before when I was in high school, um, but I switched to Yaz my first year of college um, because I had some, I don't know, like mood side effects that came along with Uh, my period and so my doctor suggested yes and i like it i think about it every day some people like you know the implant or you know something that's more long term because they don't have to think about it every day Uh, but i like that you know it's a part of my routine that i think about every day and like i can it's a physical you know thing that i do i just like that that part of part of it being able to remember and see it happening it works uh surprisingly well actually because i'm a really forgetful person um, I will say that I, I don't think I say it, take it like to the minute the same time every day, but I remember to take it, you know, when I brush my teeth as part of my routine. Um, so it does work for me, which is good. Hi, Terry. Welcome to Ask Mabel. We have a few
0: questions today regarding the birth control pill, um, the combination pill to be specific, which is what Casey uses. So the first thing is in her um, description, she says that she doesn't use the pill, take it the exact same time every day. She takes it when she brushes her teeth, which can vary. I want to be sure our listeners know whether or not that is an acceptable or um, effective way of taking the birth control pills.
3: Good afternoon, Abby. Uh, Nice to be here again. With combination oral contraceptives, you really do have a little bit of flexibility around the time that you take Uh, each dose of your pill. Typically, we will try to encourage people to take it as close to that same time every day as they can. It just keeps them in that habit and will make it more consistent with your use. However, you do have a 12-hour window. Uh, If you're used to taking your pill at 8 o'clock in the morning, you might forget it, but you get it in before 8 p.m. that evening, you are still considered... um, safe and protected and no need for an additional method of of birth control like a condom. However, if you are over your 12-hour window, it is probably wise to use condoms if you were to be sexually active, at least for the next 48 hours.
0: Now, there's another kind of pill called the mini pill, and is that the same
3: Actually, with that pill, Abby, it really is more important to be taking it within a two-hour time frame of your normal time um, that you would take it. So if you take your pill at 12 o'clock noon, between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. would be a reasonable time to take it. But if I were over that window, I would probably, again, use an extra method of birth control for a couple of days if I were sexually active.
0: And just to let people know, the mini pill is the progesterone only. Yes.
3: This is not called the combination, which is what The majority of women are probably on a combination oral contraceptive. But many women do take progestin-only pills. And that is the one specifically that we're talking about that needs to be taken pretty much close to the exact time every single day.
0: The other thing Casey experienced was mood swings um, when she switched to a different combination pill from the one that she likes. Is this common and... When women come to you with this concern, how do you help them find the right birth control or the right pill for them? You know, everybody's
3: um, body is unique. And just because one pill uh, works well with one individual, it may not be as tolerated by the next individual. Um, With regards to mood, I think it's important to look at the whole picture and certainly lifestyle uh, issues, Rest or lack of um, stressors in someone's life can also be factors. So I think we have to look at the whole picture, and we can certainly tweak the formulation of a birth control pill to try to meet that woman's specific needs. I also will recommend vitamin B complex if mood swings are the major complaint with the pill because that in and of itself might take care of the issue and allow her to stay with the pill that she's currently on.
0: The last thing I wanted to ask about has been in the news lately, um, and it's this link between or the potential link between the pill and breast cancer. Can you talk about that a little bit? Is this true, and where is this coming from? Because of the
3: link between estrogen and the increased risk of breast cancer, I think more focus has been put on oral contraceptives in the last you know, five to ten years regarding that link. We do know that there may be a slight increased risk of breast cancer with long-term use of oral contraceptives over a period of 10 years. Many other factors do come into play: family history, diet, alcohol intake, and exposure to toxins. So I think every woman has to look at her own personal history, family history, and then decide together with her care provider if the benefit of oral contraceptives outweighs the risks. There are fortunately some really positive anti-cancer benefits to the pill regarding ovarian and uterine cancer. So it really is um, an individual decision that the uh, woman and her care provider should make considering all the factors.
0: Great. Thank you, Terry. Thank you, Abby. Now to end the Ask Mabel segment, You'll hear from Casey one more time. If you don't
2: like the pill, try other things. There's nothing wrong with the trial and error, um, you know, trying different things and then changing it up. Um, I mean, while I have stuck with the pill, I did, like I said, try different kinds. Like um, the kind I was on before, I didn't necessarily like as much um, as the one I'm on now. So, you know, it's all a process of finding what works for you.
0: That's it for today. Thank you for tuning in. If you have a question for Ask Mabel, visit our new and improved website, mabelwadsworth.org, and click on Contact Us. Thank you for listening to Reproductive Left, produced in collaboration by Mabel Wadsworth Center and Community Radio WERU. If you'd like to listen to past episodes, you can find them on weru.org in the archives or at mabelwadsworth.org. You can also find us on iTunes, on SoundCloud, or through whatever podcast app you use. Tune in next month at our new time, the first Wednesday of the month at 4.30 p.m. Right here at Community Radio WERU, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, or at weru.org.